from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You have no model at all. It's really just you, and you don't know if it's going to work. You know, when you're in Shrek the Musical, you know that works. Yeah. You've, you've heard other people sing it. You've seen other people do it. You've seen the movie. All your friends have seen it. You know how it's supposed to go. When you're doing a new musical or a new play, you are how it's supposed to go. And that's, like, so exciting and so invigorating, but also, I think, so terrifying. Colin, is it hard to write songs about engineering problems? Seems complicated. Uh, no. Um, the musical art form allows for this sort of storytelling, which is why I love it so much. I'm Sarah Fenske. The new musical making its world premiere this week at the Center of Creative Arts, better known as COCA, grapples with an ugly and important history. It involves lead poisoning and rapacious corporate scientists and the all-true story of what happened at the Standard Oil plant in Baywater, New Jersey in 1924. But it also has some great dancing and some uplifting tunes. Pick up the bass And that is The Water Will Deliver It from Coca's new musical. It's called Big Machine, and it opens this Thursday. And here today to tell us about it is its director, Nancy Bell. She is director of theater at St. Louis University and the founding playwright-in-residence of St. Louis Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare in the Streets. So, Nancy Bell, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And we are also joined by the writer of Big Machine. That is Colin Healy, and he is also music director for Coca's vocal company. Colin, welcome. Nice to, nice to be here. So, Colin, give us the short version. What happened in Baywater, New Jersey, 98-ish years ago? Uh, so, actually, just a quick correction is Bayway, New Jersey. Bayway, um, Yeah, yes. Bayway. Uh, so the Baywatch st- is completely different. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope so. Um, the, the story kind of goes like this. Um, the... There was, like, automobiles were sort of, you know, mass production, Henry Ford, we know that story. Uh, automobiles were clunky and loud and General Motors rival company needed to find a fix for that. So they um, through a series of events came upon uh, tetraethyled and as an additive to the gasoline which stopped this engine knocking problem and that was the the, the like they subjected the workers here in or there in Bayway to like kind of raw lead uh, in in the additive as they were kind of barreling this oil and, and getting it out to consumers. And the, as we, you know, have known for thousands of years, lead is toxic. And, you know, it, it kind of created this sort of perfect, you know, for me as a writer, this perfect kind of metaphor for the ideal critique of capitalism that the, that the boss class sees the worker class as a means of extraction. And the boss class, uh, back when this happened, 98 years ago, they knew about lead poisoning. This wasn't something that was not on their radar. Mm-hmm. That's a lyric in the show, in fact. Yeah. I mean, we can go back to, like, Agrippa and Octavian in, you know, the plumbum pipes of, of ancient Rome. Uh, if you ever wondered why lead is PB on the periodic table, 
plumbum pipes. Um. I, this is I'm getting some good <laughs> trivia today. I'm actually I'm writing this down for the next time I'm at a trivia night. <laughs> but, but yeah, they they definitely knew, yeah. and it's like they, I mean, probably in bad faith they maybe thought that it wasn't going to be passed on to the consumer. Obviously, they were wrong about that. You know, there's we're just now kind of dealing with the the ramifications and, and understanding how leaded gasoline affected America for almost 70 years. You know, there's all these correlations between violent crime and IQ and and, and the prevalence of, of lead yeah. in, in the air. And it didn't just affect the consumers because even if you're, you know, riding a bike around, you still get exposed to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Yesterday, just pure coincidence, we discussed on this show the toll of lead poisoning in St. Louis mm-hmm. and in places across the Midwest. And it all goes back to they put it in gasoline. They put it in residential paint. Mm-hmm. And before today's humans uh, suffered from this lead poisoning, these people in New Jersey, I mean, this ended up going catastrophically for some of these workers. Mm -hmm. Nancy, how far does this musical go into some of the terrible things that these people suffered? Well, um, I mean, you could go a lot further, I think, than the the musical goes. It's a musical, and it has, like, some really entertaining parts, believe it or not, some beautiful music, some great humor, some heartwarming relationships, and a lot of positive things about the human story, Um, as well as a lot of grim details about what happens when you're exposed to lead poison especially as a young person who is forced to work in an environment that's not safe for them. And, you know, you were saying it was a coincidence that you were talking about it yesterday. But, I mean, maybe it's really not a coincidence that this is called Big Machine and it's about the systems that create that kind of – those kind of conditions for workers um, because we all live in a set of interlocking machines that – um, whose sole purpose is to make profit for the few. And that's been going on for a long time. So it's not really a coincidence that you were talking about that yesterday because yeah. it's still happening now. And Colin, you said you saw this as sort of the perfect um, true history to sort of bring this critique of, of capitalism front and center. Is that something that you'd been looking for as, as you write musical theater? This was a theme that you were interested in even before you found this story that, that brought it to life? Uh, yeah, Um I, I wouldn't say I was looking for it for a musical because obviously, you know, like the the attention getting line of this is like it's a musical about lead poisoning, but it's really a musical about like a family unit that's destroyed under the heel of capitalism mm-hmm. and, you know, is questioning their morals because of all this. And that's a that's a thing that we all grapple with in, in one way or another. Um, so there's a really human element to this story. While the like, like while the sales line is a, a, a musical about lead poisoning, mm-hmm. it is it's much more human story than that. Yeah, the. The thing that attracted me to it was that really the historical um, source material mm-hmm. is such a rabbit hole. It's amazing about these about these men that at the Atlantic. I think it's the Atlantic said that like like Thomas Midgley, for example, is the man who harmed America the most because not only did wow. he not only did he uh, he didn't invent tetraethylene, but was responsible for its reappropriation for this. He also unrelated um, invented freon. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like later in his life. Um, Again, a lot of good trivia today. <laughs> right. So the, the, the story that I did want to tell about this, because it's sort of relevant to St. Louis, um, which listeners might find interesting, is about one of the um, more minor characters in the story named Charles Allen Thomas. Um, the ears might be ringing at, at uh, Washi right now. But the... Um, He's he we implicate him in this story, um, maybe a little unfairly, but he was definitely involved in it. So it's like half true Um, as the one who said that the original solution to this problem with cars was ethanol. We recognize that. Right. Comes from corn. And he said, well, you know, we can't patent that. 
because it's corn. We can't patent a crop. So let's find a new solution, and that led us down the road to tetraethylene. Um, later on, Charles Allen Thomas becomes the president of Monsanto. And what does Monsanto do? Figures out a way to patent crops. So it's this like full circle effect, and you can dig into each one of these guys, mm-hmm. which, by the way, the story focuses on a comp- – like, I mean, they're, they're characters in this story. They fo- it focuses on the workers mm-hmm. for primarily, but these men are the were the puppet masters that just controlled every element of these workers' lives and just, you know – under the heel, under the thumb, all the time with, with these guys. It's it wild. It's wild. So you said that this this particular guy, the guy who went, went on to found Monsanto, uh, that this is kind of half true. Just for the, the historical record here, <laughs> break this down for us. What part is, is the true truth? So he didn't found Monsanto. He, he, he worked for the Dayton Project and ended up working on the Manhattan Project, too. But um, he... He, I, th- I believe it's the Dayton Project was like absorbed by Monsanto, and then he ended up becoming the president, I think, 1950. Um, he was a young man working for General Motors at the time, and surely there was a team of people responsible for this, um, mm-hmm. but he was one of those He people. was one of them. Yeah, and, and okay. you know, in, in the musical pantheon of storytelling, you know, you got to simplify a little bit. So he's, he's the one. And the, and the reason that I chose to do that was because of his uh, involvement with Monsanto, which is just... Uh, it, poetic. It, it's the kind of detail a writer <laughs> likes to have yeah. there. Boy, I can see this. Well, look, I'm glad you brought up this ethanol because this gives us a chance to play a short clip from, now this comes from a rehearsal, but it gives you a sense of the music in this show. And this is a song called The Miracle of Corn. Mr. Chairman and President, foremost executives, greetings, good day and hello. Back in New Jersey, we've been developing, yes, we're way over budget, I know. A redemption for the original sin which plagued the Model T since its inception. And I know we're all friends, so I know we'll all agree. It's loud, unbearably loud. Oh, the noise it makes, the pops and shakes, and all sorts of awful sound. There's a fix. Tommy's got something in his bag of tricks. And that is the song, The Miracle of Corn. This comes from the new show, Big Machine, uh, which makes its debut this Thursday at COCA. I'm joined today by the show's writer, Colin Healy, as well as the director, uh, Nancy Bell. Nancy saw some jazz hands there. This is a a peppy song about how they could have prevented lead poisoning had Mm -hmm. they just gone with ethanol. If they could have just figured out a way to profit off of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say that the um, vocalist that you're hearing is the fabulous Matt Billings, who plays Midgley in the show. Okay. Yeah. And so this is... This is just a great song. Mm-hmm. Gives us a sense of how you're managing to bring um, something into this show that isn't just this tragedy. Colin, is it hard to write songs about engineering problems? Seems complicated. Uh, no. Um, the musical art form allows for this sort of storytelling, which is why I love it so much. Yeah. If, I, if I came to you and said I was going to write a musical about a barber who slits people's throats in order to get his daughter back from a you know, ill, repentant judge. Like, I mean, you'd be, you'd say, you know, like that's that's a terrible idea for a musical. But you know, it's Sweeney Todd. Yeah, it's so, played for decades right. in the West End. So, like, the musical art form has been allowing for this sort of storytelling forever, and the, these sorts of songs sort of can play into the the human element. And it's always about finding that human element. So, mm-hmm. in this, in the Miracle of Corn, for example, it's a sales pitch. It's it's a man who kind of 
has, you know, no moral reproach <laughs> that it's going and he's doing his job and he's yeah. doing it well. And um, there's a, a reprise of that song in the second act that's also um, quite interesting as well. But yeah, it's all about finding that human element, which is in everything. Obviously. Yeah. And that human element is here in this show. And something else, Nancy, that makes this show maybe somewhat unique for people who are going for their critique of capitalism mm-hmm. is there are a lot of kids involved yeah. in this show. Yeah, yeah. Tell us just a bit about how that works at COCA uh, with these sure. sorts of productions. So um, in, in the kind of work that we do in COCA Writes, um, the shows are produced what's called a professional workshop model. So we have a professional company like people like the fabulous Matt Billings that you just heard really accomplished, really amazing. Every single one of them is a very uh, accomplished and skilled musical theater performer. And then we have a company of students who are learning how to do that, uh, working right alongside them. And not just in the cast, but also uh, uh, the director, the stage manager, the lighting designer. They all have um, student mentors for every part of the process. Uh, the students are also involved in the development of the work itself, um, responding to early drafts of Colin's work. And um, they have input into costumes. It's really a different model of thinking about how you create a show that involves um, a lot more people and um, a greater diversity of people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a really beautiful way for young people to learn the craft because um, mostly students have a chance to learn the craft in a play that's all students, and then they have um, a professional who might lead them in that. Um, But this, they get to work right alongside with the stakes being exactly the same for both the students and the professionals, and they have like a safety net around them so they can take big risks, and they can um, see what it's like up close to see people make live theater. If I can add to that, too, I think one of the beautiful things is that it teaches these kids at such a young age that theater as an art form is not static. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we, we get lulled into this sense of, of, you know, when we go see a show at the Fox or on Broadway or whatever, like, this is, this is how it is. This is the show. And it, that's true for that moment. But these shows are ephemeral. You know, and and like the the example I love giving is like Shrek the musical. Yes, Shrek is a musical. But if you were to see that on Broadway or on Netflix, there's a pro shot of it or and then like play that show or see that show 10 years later, you're going to see three or four new songs in it. Yeah. You know, like new theater is is the, the you know the epitome of that this na- this like nascent idea that's just sort of ever changing in the moment i mean i literally yeah. gave a new orchestration yesterday yeah <laughs> and the show opens on thursday so this gives kids a sense of that reality that this isn't just sort of like slavishly imitating what we see in like the tv version like this is something that is changed mm-hmm. by how it's shaped by its Absolutely. cast do you think this is a different play now than it would have been without this particular cast of of kids involved Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, while, while this does elucidate the, the fact, the fact that, you know, these workers at these, at this factory, a lot of them were underage. One of the, one of the little, it's a little lore and we speak to it a little bit is that because this was in New Jersey, you know, child labor laws were not necessarily in place yet because the newsies story happened in New York and the law passed earlier. So right across the river, this wouldn't have happened. Hmm. Um, so the the reason this story is set where it is is because the kids were involved from day one. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be exciting for them. I mean, mm-hmm. as they've seen this thing grow and change, mm-hmm. and now you're getting into, I don't want to say it's the final form, because this can change even after Definitely this not. premiere, but mm-hmm. you're getting ready to perform it Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Are they just as excited about sort of unveiling this to the world as their own role in that? 
Uh, oh, I can't speak for them, but I, from what I've observed, I, I think originating a new role, and I know that from my own work, is it takes so much more bravery because you have no, you have no model at all. It's really just you, and you don't know if it's going to work. You know, when you're in Shrek the Musical, you know that works. Yeah. You've, you've heard other people sing it. You've seen other people do it. You've seen the movie. All your friends have seen it. You know how it's supposed to go. Yeah. And um, when you're doing a new musical or a new play, you are how it's supposed to go. And that's, like, so exciting and so invigorating, but also I think so terrifying. Yes. And um, I give these kids so much credit. They're they so brave. I think they I think they know that this is, you know, an elaborate first draft. Um, I, I'm also, I, I run a theater company down the street from here called Fly North Theatricals. We, we also, you know, go into new musicals and whatnot. And the thing I always like to say is that, like, this not only is, is this, this version of the show never going to happen again. This show might never happen again. It is ephemeral in this moment. That's mm-hmm. the that is the risk of new theater. Mm-hmm. Is that this could be the last time this show mm-hmm. a ever ever plays, you know? Or it it's definitely going to be the last time this show ever plays. This version of the show ever plays. This one shining moment. Right. This night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can guarantee you. Like yeah. I, I I hope beyond hopes that a show called Big Machine that that Nancy and I work on will continue out into the Pantheon and work its way up some ladder. (laughs) However, I can guarantee you that this version of this show you will never see again because it is a first draft. There will be new songs. There will be new new yeah. stuff in the in the next version. So this uh, this first draft is about to be revealed to the world. Is that terrifying for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in a word, <laughs> yes. I mean, you've done this a few times before. You're now writing musicals somewhat regularly. That makes you very unusual in St. Louis. I I, I, I often say to my friends, and I can't keep this pace up. I've been I've been uh, lucky to have been patroned by. Uh, Bluff City Theater up in Hannibal, and I have you know really good support over at Fly North, and and we were um, just nominated for five Theater Circle Awards for our production of Madam, which I wrote, the, the starring the you know awesome Kimmy Kidd, who's also in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's been it's been a heck of a ride, and St. Louis uh, is an incredibly supportive town for new theater, and it's I, I often say that St. Louis, uh, like theater in St. Louis, is St. Louis's best kept secret, mm-hmm. but new theater within theater. In St. Louis is St. Louis's St. Louis theater scene's best kept secret mm-hmm. because there's not only just us. There's Coca. Coca is is doing a great job of of really bringing the new theater element of of this community to light. But like, you know, Tesseract Theater Company yeah. is also doing new plays. The Fringe Festival is constantly bringing new stuff to to light, and it's like it, institutions like Coca need to keep doing this sort of thing because it really validates it. And Nancy, in our final minute here, I mean, you and Colin are both transplants, and yet you're part of this thing where all this new theater is happening. What do you think it is about St. Louis that that makes this work here? I I think there's room in St. Louis for people. There's so much opportunity here and so many spaces that you can fill in. In a place like New York or Chicago, all those places are full up. And you have to fight to get into every single nook and cranny so that if you're a young person and you're trying to develop your talent, you have to fight so hard to get those opportunities. And it's a little bit easier here. So um, there's a a lot going on and not as many people trying to do it. So um, 
for one thing, you meet the same people over and over again as you're learning and you're coming up and you, you build incredible relationships with people. And um, it's not as competitive. It's more cooperative. You end up collaborating. Yeah, exactly. And um, and so you have those opportunities to develop your talent. Yeah. And so you get, uh, after a while, you get this group of artists who have all of this great talent and they want to offer it to the city. And we're lucky to have them, people like Colin. We are so lucky. I think this is just so exciting. Director Nancy Bell, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. And writer Colin Healy, thank you. Thank you so much. Big Machine premieres this Thursday. That's April 14th at COCA. It runs through April 16th. We have ticketing info at stlonair.show. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske and Aaron Dore with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.